disappointment for the team UAE. You know, they they were definitely unlucky with the crash of of Adam Yates. That was for sure their leader. That was for sure the designated guy to to win. I mean, those two uphill finishes are like his backyard. You know, that's what he specializes in. Welcome to the Move Podcast. I'm JB Hager, and I'm just going to tell you right now, just strap into your seat because we're going to cover a lot. Fortunately, I'm joined by two of the smartest people in cycling that know so much. Uh, Spencer Martin is here and Johan Bernil, and we're going to cover a lot today. There's so much. I was thinking about it, and and later in the show, I do want to ask you, Johan, about what that's like juggling so many races uh, all around the globe, basically for a team and a team manager it must be overwhelming, but let's just for the sake of keeping our heads straight, let's start with the UAE tour. All right, mm-hmm. let's, let's, let's jump right into that. Why don't you, uh, give us the broad overview Spencer, and then we'll, we do have some things to dig deep into on the UAE tour. Yeah, we'll let the UAE Tour be our, our North Star <laughs> as we try to navigate this insane week of racing. I mean, I'm in early season form myself, not as fit as I thought. I, I start Saturday morning, four races on, I'm up, I'm standing for all of them, doing push-ups at 5.30 <laughs> in the morning, getting ready. And then by this morning, I was so tired, just laying on the couch with my screens close to me. I, I couldn't even get close to the TV to watch up close, but the... We'll work backwards in the UA tour, just so we're not walking through stuff that happened a week ago. But Saturday was a sprint stage. Tim Merlier on uh, Sudal Quickstep now came over from Alpeson, Tekonic, Phoenix, whatever it was when he was there. Wins in like a supremely powerful sprint. I don't know if anyone saw these numbers. Velon releases these sprint numbers after the fact. And it was like these sprints at UA tour, I was saying in the pre-show, the UA tour is almost a laboratory where the sprints are like pure sprints and the climbs are pure climbs. They do have some crosswinds mixed in with, I get, which I guess would muddle the muddle the lab a bit, but Merlier wins like an unbelievably strong sprint on uh on Saturday. And then today going into the final climb, we had a climb on earlier in the week and you get, you would think UAE, not big climbs, but no, these climbs are massive. I would say the biggest climbs in early season stage racing, ironically, the closest thing you would see to, like a European grand tour climb, but they don't have snow there. So they can go up very high and do the longest climbs earlier in the year. And on the uh, stage, I believe it was stage three, that climb UAE had some problems where Adam Yates crashes hard. The the first stage was a sprint. Second stage is TT one by Brandon McNulty. Second place is another UAE rider, Jay Vine. Third is Miko Berg. So you think, well, UAE, they've got this on lock. Nothing can go wrong. Stage three rolls around the first summit finish. They kind of start to struggle because Adam Yates gets hurt. And I think if you think about the UA tour, like maybe not that important to the casual fan, I would guess it's very important to the people that sponsor the UAE team. It's their home race. They want to win it. They used to make Tade Pogacar come to it because it was just an easy way to win it. Who's going to beat him at this race. Adam Yates kind of was here as his understudy, you know, a guy who's really good at this type of race, but he crashes midway through stage three, hits his head really hard. I mean, probably should have been taken out of the race immediately. He continues, gets dropped on the climb. Like he did not look good. It was good to see him leave the race, but UA kind of salvage it, salvages it. Ben O'Connor wins the stage. Jay Vine is second. Brandon McNulty, who had been leading the race up to that point, looked a little, 
something looked not quite right. He finishes 14 seconds back from O'Connor, but you still think, well, Jay Vine's winning or leading the race, Ben O'Connor second, Brandon McNulty third. Fast forward, we have a bunch of sprint stages, four, five, six, all sprint stages. Four is won by um, Tim Merlier. I mean, it's all kind of like Tim Merlier versus the field. And then the second the stage five is won by Olaf Coy because Merlier was in the wind. Coy was protected. Stage six, Merlier wins again. I mean, the guy looks unbelievably, unbelievably powerful. I don't know how much this translates to harder sprints later in the year. Like, for example, Caden Groves was really, he just looked like he was struggling with the pure power of these guys. Like even Sam Wellsford looked quite good versus Caden Groves. But if you remember at the Vuelta last year, these hard, as the hard stages get harder, Mer, or Caden Groves just gets better and better. And we've kind of seen the elimination of just pure, pure sprint stages at major European stage races. So take it all with a grain of salt. But we get to the final stage today, stage seven, crosswinds early, like they, the TV starts and the race is all blown up across the world, across the road. And it's just flat, flat, flat into the final climb. Jabel Hafid, it is, I'll read the stats. It's a serious climb. It's 10K, 11K long at 7% average. JB, you said it looked like a miserable slog up there. It starts interesting because Ben O'Connor has his decathlon team on the front, even though they're not leading the race, they're second going into it. UAE is kind of nowhere to be seen as a team. Brandon McNulty dropped immediately. Like the moment the road goes up, he's dropped. So it's like, well, that's not something's not quite right there because he should be, you know, at least at least competing inside the final kilometer. Then Jay Vine, the race leader, gets dropped a few kilometers later with the Cathlon AG2R on the front. So right there, the race leader's gone. It looks like you start thinking, well, Ben O'Connor is going to just ride this thing in, win this race. Well, he kind of burns through his decathlon teammates. And in the last 2K, it starts to get messy. It looks like it maybe gets a little bit more mild. And that's when attacks carts start coming. Leonard Van Etfeldt. Etfeldt? Ut Etfeldt? How do you say that, Johan? <laughs> Leonard von Etfeld. Etfeld just gets away. It's a really good move. I mean, this guy is, you might think like, this is a, who is this guy? He came from nowhere. Well, Johan picked him to win a stage on our outcome show last year at the Vuelta. And he went on and finished third in that stage. He's 22 years old. Belgian rider gets clear and it's, you know, he's not super close on GC. So he needs to win by, I believe it. He needed a 20 second gap plus some time bonuses to win the overall. So you'd think, well, O'Connor, all he has to do is sit here and pace, but Etfeld's going so hard. I, I saw that his average power for the last three minutes of the stage was close to 500 watts with like a surge at the end. And that's after, what, 20, 30 minutes of high power plus the crosswinds earlier in the day. So this guy's flying. O'Connor comes through. All he has to do is finish second to win the overall. He gets goes into the final turn behind Pella Bobao, gets third, Misses that six, six, six second time bonuses, gets a four second time bonus, loses the GC by two seconds. It was probably the most exciting finale to the UA tour that I've ever seen. Etfeld wins the overall. And I, I would say shocked a lot of people, Johan, wouldn't you? I don't think many people saw this coming. And then UAE, ironically, wins them and Visma win every race this weekend, except UAE's home race, which is won by a second division lotto uh, yeah. destiny team. Today's show is brought to you by Zwift. If you haven't been joining our We Do Club on uh, our Zwift ride, you've been missing out. We've got over 1,500 members joining us every We Do Wednesday and Suffer Sunday. Uh, the Wednesday one's a little shorter, a little more casual. Sunday one is, it lives up to the name Suffer Sunday. 
check it out. It's really, really a lot of fun. And if you don't have the setup at home, uh, you, you probably want that so that you're, you, you know, you have the whole setup. You don't have any excuses to not get on a trainer at the very least. And you can get into it for less than you probably thought. The Swift smart trainer, the Swift hub is at now at a better value than ever for, for only five ninety nine, five hundred ninety nine bucks. You get all set up a pre-installed cassette of your choice, no fuss setup and one year of Swift. Uh, and you can also get free shipping when you enter this code Zwift Hub at checkout. Z W I F T H U B. Zwift Hub at checkout. Again, head over to Zwift.com to grab your Zwift Hub. And don't forget that code Zwift Hub for free shipping. Today's show is also brought to you by Helix Sleep. Uh, we've been in our house, we've been sleeping on a Helix mattress for a couple of years now. And I kid you not, when I really noticed the difference, was just a few weeks ago, we took a trip. My wife and I took a long overdue trip and I was tossing and turning like crazy all night on that mattress. And just the difference it made is, is remarkable. Uh, so, you know, you, you need to check out their lineup. There's 15 unique mattresses, luxury models, mattresses for big and tall sleepers, and even a mattress that's made just for kids. You may not have known that. Uh, every Helix Elite mattress comes with a 15-year manufacturer warranty and the same 100-night trial as the rest of the Helix collection. Take the test. Find out which one's right for you. That's what we did. First, we just did a very on, uh, simple online test. Got the mattress. Shows up at your door. And uh, I don't know how they compact it into that box. And then it expands on your bed and it's the most comfortable sleep you'll ever get. They do it and it's amazing. Uh, they're offering 20% off on all mattresses and orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash the move. All one word. Uh, this is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix Sleep, better sleep starts now. Again, it's helixsleep.com slash the move. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the UAE tour was, you know, had suspense until the end. Uh, I agree, you know, for, for UAE, the way they came in, they definitely came in with the ambition to win it. They, it's their home race. They have to win it. There's no other, there's no, second is not good enough. They, they have to win it. Uh, first, second, and third in the time trial. Um, obviously, I think their race completely changed with when Adam Yates crashed really hard, uh, that I think that was the beginning of a turnaround for them. But still, I thought that Jay Vine looked pretty good uh, on stage uh, three, I think. Yeah, stage three when he was, you know, he was close to Ben O'Connor. Um, something must have been wrong because I don't think it's normal that both McNulty and Jay Vine didn't have any legs today. Um, yeah. Maybe a bug or something in the team. That was not, it was not logical. Um, anyway, I don't think it takes anything away from Leonard von Eitfeld. Uh He's already uh, in great shape since the beginning of the year. Um, we all know Brandon McNulty is super strong from the beginning of the year. He was amazingly strong in uh, Mallorca. He already won the tour of Valencia. He won a stage and the overall and came into this race as the leader of the team and uh, Van Eetveld already beat McNulty and Vlasov uh, in a stage in, in Mallorca. Um, so, you know, we, we knew he was strong uh, on stage three. He finished third, also came from the back with a, with a really powerful acceleration at the end. Um, so, you know, no surprise there, you know, 22 years old, super powerful guy. Um, 
did, did, did some really good results last year already in his first year pro. Um, um, a big talent. Um, I, I, I listened to his post-race interview, which, you know, he did in great English, by the way, cursing included. Um, but he said... Is, you know, isn't that, that the first thing you learn in the Peloton of <laughs> a foreign language is all the curse words, right? Yeah, probably, probably. It's, not, it's probably not recommended to say it on TV, but anyways, he was so excited. Uh, but he said, you know, that he, he said that he felt like this winter, he felt like he made a big step forward. He even thought that his power meter was broken this winter, uh, was surprised about the numbers he was uh, producing. And obviously his power meter was not broken, um, because he's, you know, he's in those kind of punchy races. Um, we're going to have to see later on, you know, in, in longer climbs, but, uh, definitely very promising, um, I, I like the guy, you know, he, he, he's, you know, he dares to attack. Uh, it, it was, it was a tactical, tactical race at the end. Uh, but I was still surprised to see that many riders together with, you know, two, two and a half kilometers to go. Uh, I think there was like eight or nine riders together. And, um, yeah. and so it tells me also, I haven't seen the speeds of, of, of today's climb, but I, I, I think it was pretty fast. Uh, so, you know, we, we keep seeing the same thing that more and more riders are at a really high level. There were some guys up there, like, you know, like Max pool, for example, uh, a British rider, big talent, you know, good old Pelo, Pelo Bilbao, uh, always there, you know, trying to win the race. Uh, we had Carlos Verona up there. Um, of course, Ben O'Connor, um, uh, Ilan van Wilder, young guy, also Belgian guy who is still trying to win. Um, so, um, uh, what's what's it? Michael Sturr, all of a sudden back back there uh, on a really good level. So I think it was <laughs> these races are hard to win, man. Uh, and actually, little detail: uh, Van Eetveld, um wins with two seconds, and something that that you know, of course, it's easily said afterwards, right? But during uh, there was one stage earlier on that he was like at a breakaway. And he actually took an intermediate sprint bonifications, undisputed, oh. <laughs> which is three seconds. And that's what makes him win the race. You know, uh, easily said afterwards, right? Because I mean, he, I think he was the best then, you know, he deserved to win. But without those three seconds, he would not have won the race. He would have lost it with one second. So, um, yeah, it shows that, you know, every second counts in modern cycling. You've, you guys have said that in recent years, how these intermediate sprints are becoming more of a factor and bonifications. Yeah. Everything is more of a fact than it was what, 10 years ago, not as big of a factor. It's so close. I mean, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the differences between the guys are so close that, uh, sometimes it just comes down on, you know, decide when you attack, what happens behind, um, you know, it's a fraction of a second. I mean, winning, winning the UAE tour with two seconds with, a time trial, two mountain top finishes. Uh, it's, you know, every second counts. And um, it was, you know, I'm happy. I'm happy he wins. I think it shows also that uh, Lotto Destiny is on a really good track to be back in the world tour in the future. I think uh, last year already they started to, you know, take a different course, you know, change general manager Lalonga got kicked out and uh, Stefan Herlo came in. 
they made a few changes. There's a new wind in that team and, and they're on good course to, you know, be back in, in the world tour where they belong. In my opinion, they've been there, you know, for a very long time. I mean, I even raced for Lotto in, in, in 1990 and 91. And, uh, I think, I think if I'm not mistaken, I think they started, uh, in 84, 85 was their first year, first year of sponsoring. So they've been around forever. It's probably the oldest team, uh, the oldest sponsor around. Um, so, you know, good to see, good to see that, uh, you know, they're, they're up there and, um, yeah, I, I, I like, I like what I see from, from Lotto Destiny. Also, you know, as you said, Spencer, Tim Merlier, um, unbeatable, unbeatable. This one, this one stage, he didn't win. Uh, he lost it. It was photo finish. Apparently he finished on a, on a slow flat. Um, <laughs> I saw, off. yeah, you could see him, uh, bouncing around. It's like, this is yeah. classic. You lose the sprint. I think there was a slow leak in this yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Olaf Koy won it also a super fast guy, of course, but, uh, um, you know, one little, uh, thing I saw was, you know, obviously Cavendish was there with, with his Astana train lead out, including Morkov. Um, I'm a bit disappointed in what I saw. Um, the lead out in my opinion was not on point. Uh, and Cav, in my opinion, was not, I mean, it's still early days, of course, you know, you can't compare whatever you see from Cav now compared to a Cav in the, in, in July is different. Cavendish in the Tour de France is a different animal, but I think they're looking for some kind of confirmation of, you know, this is going to work or, you know, the, the lead out train will work. Uh, these races are not easy to, to, to get the train on point because, you know, the stages are not very long. They're not very hard, the sprint stages. So there's a lot of people in the front and, and things can go wrong. But uh, yeah, he had three chances and they were never anywhere near uh, winning or, or the podium. So uh, there's, there's work to be done there. And I'm not saying with this that uh, I'm not hopeful, but I would have loved to see Cavendish take uh, a top finish, you know, a win would have been nice, but a podium would have been good also because uh, they need to they need to get their train on the rails. And for the moment, uh, the train is not there. Does a, a guy like Cavendish like does he become a lead out coach basically? Like let me let me figure out how to phrase this. You can't you can't practice it the way it is in racing. You I mean you yeah. you I mean you can go do your efforts and 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 simulate a lead out, but it's not the same as in a bunch sprint like does, does he so as they lead up to july he's got to be working with them you need to do more of this you need to do more of this is that kind of how that's going to play out like and then they figure out the order that's best right of their lead out yeah i think first they need to be up to pair with all the other sprint trains because this this is this is this is war i mean if you see all these teams how fast they go and you know all these teams get better and better with this, I mean, the speeds are insane. And, and, and sometimes it comes down to just little things that, you know, you may get out of position. And uh, Merlier, in my opinion, is the only one I've seen until now that it doesn't seem to bother whether his train get off the rails or not. <laughs> he finds somewhere a wheel and then he just comes out of fifth, sixth, seventh position. Um, but anyways, you know, uh, as you say, Spencer, you know, not not much can be concluded from these kind of sprints. Uh, but it's nice. I mean, Merlier in the meantime, uh, 
he has won five races already. Uh, that's not a, that's not bad, you know, uh, for the month of February. It's it's good for the confidence. It's great for the team, and uh, you know, in terms of sprinters for the moment, Merlier is the king. I mean, I'd love to. I mean, he, he had no team. He had no team on stage six, and he wins that sprint <laughs> easy. It was pretty impressive. I mean, I love to criticize. He has one Gavin guy Bush. though. He has one guy. Sorry, he has one guy. Bert van Lerberge. Tall guy, uh, amazing story. Actually, they're school friends. They went to school together, like when they were kids, and they're now you know teammates on on Sudal Quickstep. And and Van Lerberg is an amazing. I mean, the way he sometimes brings him to the front without leading him out, but putting him in position. And sometimes for a sprinter like Merlier, that's enough. I mean, I, I was yeah, and I was gonna like similar to Cavendish, JB. I do kind of wonder if he's not good at teaching lead outs, just a crackpot theory I have. <laughs> like, it, you know, sometimes, you know, like Michael Jordan would probably make a bad basketball coach because like, just go by everybody and dunk it. What's the problem here? <laughs> like Cavendish probably isn't actually that good at telling them mm -hmm. exactly what they need to do, but he really just needs one. He needs one guy to pilot him through one sprint at the tour in the season as a success. And I think he's probably going to be fine. If this was three years ago, I, I'd say, oh, he's shot. He can't compete anymore. But We've seen him like he can just turn like what what do they say like turn chicken shit into chicken salad so fast <laughs> like he can look really washed up and then July rolls around and he looks fantastic so I wouldn't panic about that one thing about Lotto Destiny which I guess is the name of the team now I almost wonder if they were helped by relegation Johan where they could sit back kind of take a deep breath and get off contracts. They felt like they needed to get off. Like if they're still on the world tour, I wonder if they keep Caleb Ewan or, and then they don't focus on as much on these younger riders who've performed really well for them because they just feel the pressure to like, we got to just eke out every point we can, but like going back to the second division, they've been able to pick and choose the races they want to go to. They can reliably pick up points at smaller races. Like they've just skipped the zero. I don't think they went last year and they're not going this year. Exactly. I they, also, they also they also they also set out uh, down under for example they didn't yeah you know it is it, it has it advantages if you're strong in the second division it's not a bad place to be you know because if you if you make sure you're first or second you're doing all the big races anyway yeah uh, you got to pick and choose uh, it's not a it's not a bad thing it's not a bad thing yeah but Although, we got to, we got to see Alpeson benefit from that for for some time. For three years. Yeah. 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 For three years. All right. Any other uh, takeaways from UAE tour before we move on? I, I'm just like, my head is spinning. Just trying to think of who was in what race. It's all a blur. You know, I mean, my, my general takeaway is, you know, like disappointment for the team UAE, you know, they, they were definitely unlucky with the crash of, of Adam Yates. That was for sure their leader. That was for sure the designated guy to, to win. I mean, those two uphill finishes are like his backyard, you know, that's what he specializes in. So, you know, we can't be too harsh for them, but from experience, I know that, you know, if you're in a race in your local race, you're the dominant team, uh, in the world, I mean, you, it's 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 fair to say I think that UAE and and Visma Lisa Bike are the two strongest teams in the world. If you're there, uh, it's so much pressure, so much pressure because everybody, I mean, listen, these sponsors, these shakes, that they, they just expect you to win. You know, they're paying so much money. It's okay, you know, 
we're just going to win this, you know? Okay, let's bring the strongest team. Okay, we understand that we're not bringing Pogacar because we know we, he wants to focus on a little bit later, but let's bring the strongest possible team. I mean, if you look, you know, Adam Yates, Jay Vine, McNulty, I mean, those three guys were leaders, would be leaders on any team, right, for this race. And and they don't win, and, and they're not even on the podium. Um it's stressful. It's stressful. It's, you know, they go away from this week with a disappointment. Uh, I think there's, you know, they have valid excuses to, to not have won it, but you know, in a few weeks, those excuses, you know, are forgotten. We didn't win UAE. So now we, we need to win the next one. Right. right? Now, so, now I'm thinking about you as a director with a U.S. based team. Coming back when you would come race in the U.S., did, did you feel that pressure? One, and and then that's really funny. You're like you probably going, I can't believe I feel all this pressure to race in America. <laughs> it was always the same. Tour of California, tour of Georgia, same thing. Always, you know, you have to, you're there and you you have to win. And you know what? I mean, these races are not easy to win. You know, I mean, even sometimes, even if the uh, okay UAE tour, obviously the the participation was, was high quality. Sometimes, you know, tour of Georgia, tour of California, the, the participation was so, so still not easy to win. Uh, and if, when we didn't win, uh, it was not happy times, not happy times. Uh, so yeah, uh, I feel, I feel for them. I feel for the, the, the management of UAE, uh, of course, I think, I think, you know, around the sponsors, around the shake, there's obviously advisors who, who understand the sport a little bit, but mm, that one is not in the back for the moment. So that ups the pressure for the, for the other, for, for the future. And I'll add this to it real quick, cause we've, we've got to move on, but I watched that Yates crash. And rarely yeah. do you see in road cycling where they turn and hit the back of their head. Uh -huh. And when they put him back on that bike so quickly, I, I immediately thought this guy's got a concussion. Like there's, that should not have happened. But you know what, JP, it's still, you know, any cyclist and any staff member still has that reflex, you know, let's see what happens. Let's, let's see, uh, you know, let's, okay. He speaks, uh, he can say his name, um, you know, his arms work, his legs work. Let's put him on the bike. And then we look at, we look at the damage once he's going right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, listen, Adam Yates is also an experienced rider already. Right. So, um, ultimately he has decided to go on, uh, plus there are race doctors there. Um, they've assessed him. Um, I, I don't, I don't really know if it was a concussion. Um, but it's also, you know, I mean, listen, it's the pressure, you know, the pressure of, Hey, I'm here. I'm, I have to do my job. I have to deliver the win. I, I need to try. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think it was wise for him to, 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 to stop. Um, but I, I because he, he obviously felt shaken, but, but, but I, I don't think personally that he, he will have a concussion, uh, I mean, maybe tomorrow I have to swallow my words, but, but, uh, but it's not, it's not easy. And it's, it's also not easy to establish a, a protocol for this mm. because it's so subjective, you know, uh, ultimately it's the, it's the rider who needs to feel what's going on. And, uh, it's, 
it's a very sensitive subject because you could, in theory, if the authority lays with, with an external person, they could say, okay, you know what, you're out. And it may be that it's it's not such a big deal, you know, because but out of precaution, they take him out of the race. So um I think it's something that needs to be worked on. You know, I've read I've read several you know studies that they're working on on uh, sensors in the helmets that could you know be you know giving a signal of okay this is this impact is hard enough oh, wow. to, to 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 take you out of the race. But man, when you had oh. your head, all the impacts are hard. More yeah, numbers, exactly. Spencer. More numbers for you. Well, that <laughs> impact was a seventy-eight on a scale. You're gonna love that. You're gonna. Love that. I I think we should remember too. I mean, I think they checked his helmet, and if there's no cracks, like it's, it looks obvious to us, but they might not even know that he hit his head really hard, you know, because they don't, they're not seeing that they're in the car. Maybe yeah. they see it on TV, yeah. but they don't see the replay yet. It's got to be chaotic, and then okay, yeah. send him on his way, and then they see the replay two hours later, and it looks obvious. But one of the one of the disadvantages of cycling is, you know, compared to any other sport, you know, like rugby or, you know, like you can take a guy out and sit him, set him on the bench and he can come back into the game. Cycling. No, the race goes on. You know, it's it's not like, Hey, let's, okay. Let's assess this guy. Hey, Peloton, everybody waits to decide, until we decide that Adam Yates is okay to continue. That's the problem in cycling. So, um, I, I think it's improved a lot compared listen, before it was, there was just before, it was, there was no protocol at all. It was, okay, you check if your arms and your legs work as a rider, you instinctively get back on your bike and you get your legs moving, even if it hurts, you know? And even if you're, and then you decide, okay, you know, bit by bit, you get back into motion and, and we'll see then, right? That, that doesn't happen anymore. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it can, it, you know, I'm pretty sure that, there's going to be some kind of system at some point where everything's standardized and, and better for everybody. Today's show is also brought to you by AG1. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be, and it should be simple. So for the last couple of years, I've been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just a scoop mixed in water. Very, very easy to do. You don't have to get out a blender or anything. You can actually just put it in a shaker, give it a quick shake, and it's good to go. Uh, a serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more. It's a very powerful, healthy habit, and it's also very, very simple to do. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1. And that's why uh, we've been partners with them for so long. So if you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year uh, supply of vitamin D3 plus K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the move that's ag1.com slash the move check it out today's show is also brought to you by caldera lab it's, it's very funny around the show of course you know all of us dudes none of us none of us were using any kind of uh, skincare products until a year ago and now we all obsess over it like hey do you have any of this can i borrow some of your caldera can i borrow some of yours we're, we're all addicted to it and there's three products that they make that are, are great and a part of my routine 
clean slate is how, you know, just used to wash my face. I keep one in the shower and one by the sink. And then there's the base layer, which is just moisturizes my skin, put it on, get through your day. And the good is like a serum that you just soaks into your skin overnight. And, you know, hey, I know this isn't the prettiest face and clean slate to work with, but my wife has even noticed some improvements. So start taking care of your skin now. Get 20% off with the code WEDU, W-E-D-U, at calderalab.com. That's C-A-L-D-E-R-A-L-A-B, calderalab.com. And uh, make unforgettable first impressions that lead to the charming words, you look younger. Again, 20% off at calderalab.com with the code WEDU. All right, now let's jump around. As I said at the top of the show, there was so much racing going on. My my head was spinning the last two days just trying to catch up with all of it. Uh, but fortunately, these two gentlemen with me can keep it all straight in their heads of who was at what race. Let's go across to the Grand Camino where we got to see uh, Jonas Vingegaard do what he does. Just just be Vingegaard, and which he's done, dominated that race for a couple of years in a row, correct? Yeah, the race is only three years old, I believe. He's won the last two years, the two years he's participated in it. And I believe since he started racing it last year, he has won every stage that has counted for the GC. And because they it, they run it in Galicia, which is a really wet part of Spain. Maybe it has like a Celtic origin, the people that live up there. I'm a little fuzzy on what exactly is going on in Galicia, but it is like really bad weather this time of year and they often will have to neutralize stages or not have them or like the stage one time trial happened, but it didn't count for the GC because it was so windy. They didn't want riders getting blown off the road. One by Josh Tarling, by the way, if you guys remember us, we three talked about him on our world championship time trial podcast last August. I think he finished, Johan, did he finish third in the time trial? Am I, am I remembering this right? In the world championship stunt trial second second yeah really good really good rider no he did finish third and then second oh uh ghana was second yeah and really good rider even on the road bike european champion yes yeah and he's young i think he's 20 years old yeah 20 years old on Ineos. huge power i mean incredible incredible power yeah and I was really blown away. A, he rides with a low cadence, like a Jan Ulrich S cadence. Maybe that was just a quirk of being on his road bike, but destroys everyone. This is a short time trial, 14.8K, finishes uphill on a couple climb, finishes almost a minute ahead of the second place <laughs> finisher. Like it was, I would keep that name in mind well, when let's, the let's, Olympics let's, roll around. Spencer, uh, you know, the gap, it, it was a huge gap uh, and the guys he beat were definitely going for it. But let's say that the, the really top guys like Jonas Vingegaard didn't go full in that time trial because first one, it was windy and, and most importantly, it didn't count for GC. So they, uh, but anyways, don't want to take anything away. Carling is top of the world in time trialing. Uh, really. I mean, he's, he's my favorite actually for the Olympic, uh, championships. I, I like that trial. pick. Yeah. Yeah. And because he can just focus on that. He doesn't have the pesky Tour de France to try to win, yeah. like from Coevnipol. And, you know, and then it really after that, it's just second year in a row. It's the Jonas show. I mean, I, I can't quite figure out why he comes to this race because it is very, it looks very cold and very rainy, but he comes year after year and just dominates people on the climbs. Like abs, like I saw, he almost did seven Watts per kilo for something like 12 minutes 
on the final climb on stage two. It's a short race. It's just a four stage race, but it didn't finish on an uphill finish. You know, so he goes over the, the climb solo, Igor Bernal, but pretty impressive performance comes over second, finishes second on the stage, 24 second win on a, you know, on a course that you would not say super conducive to getting away. And then I thought the most important performance or most impressive performance of the week was stage three. It finished. He attacks. It's a long way to the finish line. He goes solo, finishes 29 seconds up on, you know, decently sized Peloton, like let's say 17, 18 riders pulling. And he's just out there. He's not a big guy, you know, but he's obviously putting out massive power to hold them off. Like just an incredible form. And then today's stage wasn't televised, which um, I secretly was happy for because it made our day a little bit more manageable. I think it was it was this same uphill finish that he won last year. Let's just imagine it was exactly the same, but with more rain. It was, it was uh, yeah. yeah. And Lenny Martinez impressively comes over 16 seconds down. Hugh Carthy third, 45 seconds down. And then Egan Bernal fourth, 48 seconds down, finishes third in the GC. Lenny Martinez finishes second. If Lenny Martinez sounds familiar, he was the really young rider who was, was he leading the Vuelta for a bit last year, Johan? Yeah. Yeah. yeah Two so, days or three days. Yeah. Yeah. French rider on Groupama FDJ definitely looks good this year. Son, son of ex Olympic champion, Miguel Martinez. Uh, his dad, mountain Olymp- bike, right? Olympic champion mountain yeah. bike. His granddad was Tour de France, uh, rider. It's a, it's a cycling family, uh, big, big climbing talent. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm the same, Spencer. I don't really understand the reasons why Jonas wants to go to this race. Um, he wins all the stages. Uh, definitely great training. Um, the competition was great. I mean, it's not, it's not like he wins against second-degree riders. You know, it's, uh, Bernal is there. Uh, Carapaz is there. Martinez is there. Uh, Carti, Uran. Um, there's really good riders. So uh, the, what what really is impressive is that every time he decided to go, he went and nobody was able to follow him except Bernal um, on, on stage two. Um, I think on stage two, yeah, he, uh, he, he could follow him until about 800 meters from the top. Uh, that's what I like most about, about this. I, I mean, it was kind of, clear that Lingard was going to do the same as last year. Um, I think, I mean, at this point, Spencer, I, I just think these, these, these Visma riders or this Visma team, they're just trying to replicate what they've done and just compare their numbers. Okay. Uh, we don't look, the result is fine. We don't, we're going to win anyway. Let's just see if we produce more power. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a bit, that's a bit what it looks like. Um, but, you know, Bernal being able to follow Vigegaard uh, was something that I really like to see. Um, you know, he already showed hopeful signs in the Colombian championships. He was he did a really good race there in the, the, the Tour Colombia. He was at a good level also, uh, not riding with Ineos, but riding with the Colombian national team. Uh, now back in Europe, um, it's good to see. So I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that Bernal can join you know, whenever we talk about the big three or the big four, you know, today and Jonas and, and Primos and, and, and Remco eventually, in my opinion, Bernal belongs in that list, you know, so uh, I would like to see him back there. Um, I agree with what you said in the pre-show, Spencer, that 
you know, we haven't seen Bernal on this level since his win in the in the Tour of Italy. So hopefully uh, he gets a lot of confidence out of this. Uh, I know he gets a lot of confidence out of this for sure, but uh, um, you know, it's 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 good to see and hopefully he can build on this uh, and do a proper preparation for uh, for the Tour de France. You know, we need know. him. We're, we're, we're him already up. we're already building all this anticipation with Remco Roglic now on another team, Pogacar, Vingo. If Bernal is back in the mix, like. This is setting the stage for the best showdown we've seen since this show has begun in 2017. My only concern in a, I, I was very impressed. Like Jonas didn't really attack. He just kind of, I don't want to say the word motorbike, but he just kind of did look like a moto. He just like rode Bernal off his wheel. But if you step back and you're like, well, he, he, did, got he did, sorry, sorry. He did attack initially. Uh, yes. To make able to join. Point. And then when they were, Two guys left, then he rode him off the wheel, yeah. But that's pretty good company to be in. You know, if you make it to 800 meters to go to the top of yeah. the climb and get ridden off Jonas's wheel, like you, you might be up there with some of the best riders in the world right now. My only concern is, so let's say he goes to the tour. We are already starting to see the Ineos bubble form. You know, it's this, this is GC bubble that forms it feels like every Grand Tour, we saw it at the Giro last year. I thought it really hurt Garrett Thomas where they have three or four riders just kind of blob in the top 10 of the GC and they just don't pick anyone and they all kind of ride their own race. And, you know, it's like, let's say Bernal finishes seventh of the Tour. That'd be great for Bernal. And what is Pickcock? Let's say he finishes eighth and Garrett Thomas finishes fifth. It's just, I... I it's just an odd team where you think, well, Bernal's back. This is great for them. And it's like, oh, wait, it's another rider that can finish high up, but maybe not win a Grand Tour at the moment because the Grand Tours are getting so competitive to win. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, listen, Bernal has the advantage that there's no obligation for him. Anything he, any, you know, if he gets close, it's good enough. So it's, you know, if he's able to follow them for a little bit, um, I, I think I think winning the Tour for Egan Bernal is going to be difficult. Um, maybe he needs another year to get back to the level if he ever gets back. And, and then, you know, the question is, is his best level from before good enough to win a, a Tour de France? And, you know, nowadays, uh, now we also Probably. need to, we also need to figure out what is Bernal's personal ambition. If you ask me, Bernal wants to win the Vuelta. That that's his main objective because he's won the tour, he's won the Giro. There's one left to check off, you know, and uh, and that's that's a, a very achievable goal in my opinion. You're a mind thief. That's what I was gonna say. His, his time <laughs> trial is probably not good enough to win the tour because let's say he just is as good as Pogacar and Jonas on the climbs. Well, where's he gonna make the time up on the time trials? But if Sepkus can win the Vuelta, Bernal can win the Vuelta. You know, he can climb. Just yeah. as good as Coos. And if it's, you know, he just needs a few oddball things to happen to make up for the time he's going to lose in the time trials. He could absolutely win the Volta, I think, with this form that he's found himself in. He yeah, doesn't well. even have the Tour de France on, on the schedule. So that's probably they not have part like of the a, plan, to your point. Yeah, he's going to go. He's going to go to think? the Tour. Because yeah. it's I think the best they don't have a full team in there yet. Mm. Right? They only have like three or four riders. They're one of the only big teams not to have a full Tour team announced. Yeah. Yeah, but it could be good for him just to get a grand tour in his legs before he goes to the Vuelta. I think that could help him a lot. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe, maybe it's not this year. Maybe it's, maybe it's yeah. next year's Vuelta. You know, I mean, hey, listen, if, if, if Fingergaard goes to the Vuelta, like he said he will, then, hey, <laughs> yeah. but life, life happens. I mean, you know, that yeah. was a pretty clean, magical run Visma had last year. Yeah. yeah that's not guaranteed. You never of know course. Of course. Yeah, of course. what's going to happen. Yeah. Also, honorable mention for uh, Kian Uitebroeks. Uh, really good ra race, his first race with Visma after, you know, a bit of a, a hectic off-season, you know, changing teams. Uh, it looks like he's super happy, uh, super excited, and he did, he did a, few, uh, a few really good results. So happy to see him up there. All right, do we move on to Omloop Newsblot? Well, before we, I have one more thing to mention about okay. the Grand Camino, and it's going to blow up our comments. I apologize in advance. Oh, boy. <laughs> Johan, is Richard Carapaz still a GC rider? <laughs> he finishes he, 11th here in the yeah, GC. He's, he is, he's a strong rider. Uh, he's a GC he's very rider. Good, he's very a GC good. rider, but he is not, he's not anywhere near the four, the three, four big guys. Uh, so uh, as long as these guys are at, uh, if we're talking about the tour, I would say, no, he can't win the tour. He cannot win the tour. Um, he won the Giro, um, was second in the Vuelta already a few years ago. Also, um, in the meantime, things keep happening in cycling. You know, the young guys keep coming. So uh, it's not looking it's not looking bright for for him to win a grand another grand tour, but he can be he can be third. That I think third is must be his 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 ambition. Uh, you know, you have to be a good rider to be on the podium of a grand tour anyway. It's easy to say, ah, you know, he's only fifth or sixth. You know, it's <laughs> you have to be so good to be fifth or sixth <laughs> yeah, yeah. in a grand tour. So let's not let's not forget that. But uh but hey, Carapaz is, you know, he's a fighter, he's a strong guy. He's uh, uh you know, whatever he doesn't have in terms of talent compared to uh a Roglic or uh Bernal or, or um Vingegaard or or Pogacar, he makes up with you know, race attitude and, and, and race savviness also. He, he's, a, he's a racer. So uh, let's not forget that. But uh, you know, it's not going to be easy for him to, to win another Grand Tour. Not I, hope, I hope everybody listens to Johan's very objective, thought, well-thought answer, because it seems like lately other media outlets will, will take that question and answer and go, and, and then their headline is, why does Johan Bernil hate Carapaz? Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't. I don't. I know, all. but that's what that's what other media outlets uh, do to us. Listen, when we JB, I mean, fortunately, <laughs> we, we have to. We, we also have to say, you know, fortunately, most of the cycling media listens to our podcast, True. and and you know they're taking they're taking information from here, and with that comes that you know certain quotes are taken out of context because it drives traffic. I uh, know. I'm fine with that. <laughs> they just did it on, they just did it to Lance on Remco and it's like he never said that. <laughs> and I yeah, and I got a lot, yeah. We can <laughs> debate that we'll debate that in a future show. But the thing, I mean, the reason I asked about Carapaz, it's almost a compliment because he's such a good winner of races, like a stage hunter. 
I do kind of wonder if he's going to say, man, like this GC game is just tough these days. Like I'm going to bust my butt. I'm going to finish what? Six of the tour, you know, go back to that. What was that? The 2022 Velta where he was just storming stages. Yeah. You kind of wonder if that becomes more appealing versus trying to keep up with this rat race of the GC. Yeah, it is though. You know, I mean, Vuelta and Giro are different. Uh, doing that in the tour is it's, yeah, that would be a, yeah. stages are so expensive at the tour. It, it's it's a different game. You know, we, we, that's why the tour is the tour, and the other races are not anywhere near what the Tour de France is. But hey, Carapaz, um, you know he uh, he was there already straight from the beginning. Tour Colombia. You know, he was, he was super strong, almost won it. Um, so he definitely had a good off season and prepared well. Um, we'll see him. We'll see him. Uh, in my opinion, not to win a Grand Tour, though. All right, let's move on to the arm loop where it was the Jumbo Visma or Saika. The <laughs> Visma Lisa <laughs> bike show. I got, it's going to take a few shows to get ready, used to that. Uh, it, from what I witnessed... Uh, and we'll start with you on this one, Johan. It, it looked like any one of four or five Visma riders could have won. And they, they have this situation now where everybody looks at Wout Van Aert and they have all this other talent firing yeah. away. It's not bad to be on Visma in, in those races if you're like a Christophe Laporte or Mathieu Jorgensen or Tish Benoit or in this case, Jan Trapnik. You know, I mean, uh, it, was, it was a strange race. Omloop at Newsblad. Um, it's, you know, it's it, in Belgium, this is, this is the start of the cycling season. You know, the, to, yesterday was the start of the real cycling season in Belgium. It's huge. It's a mini tour of Flanders. Um, all the newspapers are building up in the week before to, you know, and, and then of course with Walt Van Aert being the big favorite, it's, it's crazy. Uh, the team Visma has, I mean, the, They've shown that they're incredibly strong. They're incredibly dominant. Now, it's still not easy to win that race because you know at some point uh, they it looked like okay they had there was a there was a big selection. I think Visma had six six riders out of uh, six from their seven riders were there. Then they had one guy who punctured Affini, uh, but it was still five. And then finally, there's a selection. There's six riders with three Vismas. Right? Uh, you would say okay. This looks like, okay, this is Visma and, you know, nobody else is going to win now. Certain things happen in the race that even Visma does not expect. For me, the, complete, the race completely changed on, I think it was on the Berendries, which, uh, you know, it's one of the, one of the, of the non-cobbled climbs where you have Tom Scoins, uh, Scoins or Squeens, or uh, I always say Scoins. I think that's Sweet. right. <laughs> uh, attacks. I said, okay, because, you know, initially, if you're one of those three other riders, you say, okay, I'm here with three Visma riders, right? So what, what should I do? The best way to get a, a good result is you attack and you wait until a Visma rider comes and then hope that the two other Visma riders give the, the green light for, you know, to get away with him, which was, in my opinion, his intention. Now, Tom Squeens was incredibly strong. I think a lot stronger than he expected himself. And he attacked and Van Aert went after him and could not bridge the gap. And I think that completely changed the dynamic of the race where they said, okay, 
hey, you know, we're three guys here, but there's one guy who's actually stronger than the three of us because Van Aert was, this, you know, initially the, the, the leader of the team. So um, anyway, still, you know, six riders, three, three Visma guys, uh, not easy to win. Um, so it, in the end, it was a strange race, actually, because it took another guy who was not initially part of the, the first selection to come back and take advantage tactically of the situation and, and win. So obviously having the numbers is always a great advantage, but I would think that nobody would have expected, uh, even with a hundred kilometers to go, uh, that Jan Tratnik would win the race for Visma Lisa bike. They were all thinking, okay, Van Aert or Laporte or, or even Matthew Jorgensen. Uh, those are the guys who, who need to deliver us the victory. So it was, it was a very interesting race, very dynamic, changing situations. And, uh, what I, what I've seen is a very dominant, dominant, uh, Visma team, probably even stronger than last year. I mean, they have reinforced themselves. Uh, Matthew Jorgensen is obviously a great addition. Um, Van Aert is really strong. Uh, Laporte is there always. Uh, Van Barle, pff, I mean, Benoit, I mean, what are you going to do, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, it was it was interesting to see. Um, what I really liked was the performance uh, of Arnaud Delis. Arnaud Delis, young rider, super strong, you know, Belgian favorite uh, next to next to Van Aert, you know. He's a Walloon uh, from French, from the French speaking part. So it's, it's balanced. Uh, but, you know, him being up there collaborating and, and being super strong, in my opinion, at the end of the race, the last 30 K, the Lee was individually the strongest rider. Uh, he, he, he repeated actually what he did last year, which is a crazy. If you, if you know the roads there, and if you've, if you know what, what riding a bike is at that level, I mean, he went up the Mur de Gramont on the big chain ring like last year, which is crazy. Um, he did it again, uh, but he put everybody, everybody in the hurt. So, uh, very, I mean, probably not the result he expected, but performance wise, I saw a very strong Arnaud Ali. Um, there were some doubts about his form initially. Uh, that's also, you know, the Belgian public and the Belgian media are very demanding and deleted three races, mm -hmm uh didn't have i mean he had a fourth place and then two abandoned so immediately say oh you know the lee is not in great shape he showed that he's in great shape and was supported by a very strong lotto destiny team in the final so uh i i really liked what i saw from uh from the lee so and hopeful hopeful for the next races for him yeah i mean what do they call him the bull he definitely looked like the bull during that yeah. race i mean he was he was noticeably stronger than Tom Pickcock on those climbs, but you would not guess based on kind of their rider profiles. This race was interesting because it had like five moves where I thought, Ooh, that's the winning move. I mean, and Fizma clearly has some sort of strategy, but like, okay, we're coming in. We're the favorites. We don't want to get stuck gluing the race back together. Let's just get five or six guys that could all win the race off the front as early as possible. So this race breaks up 122 kilometers out. We don't see it because it's not televised. And then they 
you know, they just start, they get to work like with their chisel and hammer. Like they get to the Wolvenberg. Oh, let's, let's thin it out even more. We have five of 20. Let's get it to three to six. You know, they just keep reducing, reducing, reducing the group, but they don't lose as many, as much firepower as everybody else. Like when they had those, we had, they had Laporte, Jorgensen and Van Art in the lead group against with three other riders. I think it was Dele, Pitcock and Tom Squeens, 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 however we're saying his name. That's a pretty strong position. And I think there was funky time gaps all day. They had, yeah. they said they had a minute lead over the chase group. We find out later that wasn't true, but then you think, okay, like well, I can kind of see how this is going to play out. And then Squeens do, does what he does shows. He's so strong. That's interesting, Johan. I was confused why he sat up and waited, but that makes sense. He was waiting for Van Aert. I was, so it, was far, it was far, far, far to go still. Um, and I probably think that he surprised himself a little bit by being like so strong and nobody being able to follow. But from there on, if you look, Jumbo's attitude changed because, you know, until then there was... You had the three Jumbo guys, or the three Visma guys. Sorry, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna take, it's gonna take a long time. Yeah. Uh, the three Visma guys and and the other three collaborating with them, which which makes sense, you know, which makes sense because let's I mean people say, okay, why are they collaborating? The three 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 Visma guys, and then why are these guys collaborating? Well, you know, first of all, these three guys are three like Pitcock, Delee, and and Scoins are three strong riders. Uh, they all know that it's good. The three of them know that it's going to be difficult to win. Uh, but you know, they, they, they know that it's, there's a decent, decent possibility to have a podium. Uh, if they don't collaborate, they immediately push Visma in the situation. Okay. We're going to attack. We're going to try have one Visma rider away with another rider, right? Which, which is what happened after Scoins dropped Van Aert. Um, so it made sense that they collaborated, um, but it's not easy to be in a situation like, like Visma. If you are so dominant, then still it's not easy to win the race because it, you, you create situations where you're so strong that you create a passive attitude of all the others. And you really need to be much stronger than the rest, which they are. I mean, today they showed it also in Kurna, which uh, to to win the race, right? So um, it was it was you know Omloop Newsblot was an interesting race uh, because at some point you know they they decide okay Jurgensen goes up front. Jurgensen was strong but not super strong. So obviously in the back the 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 five remaining riders the two the two visma riders are not collaborating anymore and these other three the lee and pitcock and and Skoins, work together but not full because they know that as soon as they bring back jorgensen they're going to get attacked from the back so you create a situation you have a guy in the front you have five guys in the back but in the meantime the, the speed is not super high anymore and the peloton comes back and that's all of us that's why we all of a sudden saw the peloton so close just before the Mur de Gramont, they were there. I mean, they were there and, 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 you know, some guys mainly, I mean, uh, Tim Wellens in first instance, but some other guys came back on the Mur on the Mur already on those, uh, on those five guys. Um, and so that's a bit, uh, it's, it's a knife that cut both ways. You know, you, you, you have, you have a lot of strong guys, uh, but as soon as you start to attack, uh, then 
the peloton has a better chance to come back and also a better chance to catch that lone rider in the front which is what happened ultimately and and luckily luckily they had Tratnik coming back who hadn't worked at all and is a smart rider strong rider and and could you know finally get in the good move with on top of that Niels Polit who is a horse the best guy uh, in the world to be in that move with yeah i mean first yeah. of all i mean Pratnik is little. He would. I mean, Pratnik. I think Pratnik was thinking. Here, I'm. I'm behind a motorbike here. You know. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, on top of that, he's faster. And uh, then you know, you had Polit and UAE also thinking by themselves. Okay, this is at least let's go for a podium because you know if we don't stay ahead, we have nothing. Because Wellens had already made big yeah. efforts to come back uh, on the mirror. So uh, they created an ideal situation, but probably not what they had expected. Not even 10 kilometers before that move happened. That would have thought that Tratnik would be the guy that they, they would have to protect. It kind of highlighted the risk or potential downside of attacking over 100 kilometers out because you're right. When Tom's attacked, it changed everything. They're like, well, we can't go to the final two climbs with this guy. Cause what if he drops us and wins Jorgensen, you know, they start doing the one, two, the old one, two, three Jorgensen goes, it reminded me of Stenda Volder. Do you remember these two Flanders wins where he would just counterattack? Boonin's in the group, the Volder wins. The problem is Jorgensen was running out of gas cause he had been off the front in that lead group for so long. And then as you say, everything kind of, it was really surreal cause you're seeing the time gap a minute and then it just, is like an accordion, just like coming back together so fast. There was a moment where I thought, oh, this could get dicey. If this all comes back together, there's guys sitting in the peloton. Can Wout Van Aert really win a sprint against them? And then is it, you know, Jan Tratnik saves the day, gets off the front with the perfect guy to be off with. He wins, so it doesn't matter. But then we saw Wout Van Aert win the bunch sprint anyway. So he probably would have been able to win had it all come back together. Yeah, well, Van Aert was was you know he, he already yesterday we saw he was strong. We saw we saw it today, by the way, in Kurna. But uh, I just want to you know mention a little bit Jan Tratnik because you know he's he's a rider who's not very well known. Uh, he's been around forever, thirty four years old. Um, you know his his trajectory is very uncommon you know he he turned pro very young we just checked you know in 2011 he was on quick step uh i think if i'm not mistaken uh in the juniors uh he was top of the world if not world champion in some kind of discipline i don't remember if it was road or mountain bike or anything but he was obviously a talent otherwise he would not get, have been picked up so young by quick step back in the days. And then it kind of, uh, you know, we, we see he goes on small teams, um, struggled with, uh, apparently with an eating disorder. Uh, you know, like nowadays there obviously, uh, professional cycling is weight is very important, but it is all very scientific calculated and controlled. There was a time, in cycling where there was this obsession about being skinny, but there was no science behind it. And uh, I think Jan Trapnik was one of the victims of that kind of philosophy and thinking and, and went down uh, into an obsession of, of not eating and, and trying to be skinny. Uh, but if you look at, you know, what that guy is able to do, you know, he, uh, he was on a few smaller teams. Then he came back to Bahrain, uh, four or five years ago. 
did uh, did some good seasons there. Won a stage in the Giro, and then uh, I I would I would think probably last year Primoz Roglic asked Visma or Jumbo back then to to hire Tratnik, uh, and and you know since then he's been an amazing teammate, uh, also able to you know do some great results. But if you look at his uh, performances this year already. Uh, he's been close a lot of times already. He was uh, he was close in Murcia. He was uh, he was close in the, the race in Jaén. Yeah. I think top three, top four places uh, every time. So um, obviously he was, you know, it, it was third coming. at Algarve, GC and GC. See, it's so really impressive. Yeah. So it, it was it was it was just waiting to come uh, because. You know, uh, if you're in a race like this, if you're able to go at the end, you have to have something left in the legs. And there's not that many riders who have that capacity. So it's great to see a rider like him, you know, and we're always talking about scientific cycling, robotic cycling. This guy's 34. He's seen it all. And finally, you know, in the, in the fall of his career, being on this team and being able to have this great victory is, is, is amazing to see. So. I think it's it's a good sign for any rider to, to never give up, you know, because nowadays they're coming younger and younger, 18, 19, 20 years old, they're there. And it seems like if you haven't won a big race by the time you're 23, 24, you failed while well, you haven't, you know, and there's always, there's always time to, to, to come back as long as you keep uh, doing the job. So uh, hats off to, to Tratnik and, and this amazing win. Everybody save that. All you gentlemen save that little Johan speech there, whatever you're failing at in life. You still have time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I was watching uh, the other Visma riders that are more familiar names, or I shouldn't say more familiar, but bigger stars than Tratnik, they seemed so thrilled that he won. He had won. And it going into the spring season, I would, I would think this does even more for Visma morale that they win with Tratnik as opposed to Wout Van Aert winning two days in a row. Like we're so good. We can win with anybody. Like, so going yeah. into the spring season, yeah. this has to be huge. And meanwhile, the women on Visma Lisa bike are picking yeah. up other victories elsewhere. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was amazing. Uh, Omlop at Niesblatt for women. Um, you know, unfortunately uh, the, the race was, after the after the men uh but what a race what a race i mean the dominated again by sd works breakaway you know six riders seven riders same thing uh same thing as visma three riders in there they had lotto kopecki they had um uh what's her name uh, demi volering and then lorena wibes and three other riders one of them Mar mariana voss and mariana voss Ah, uh, she's 36 now. She's, you know, she's, uh, she's been world champion. I don't, I don't know how many times and how not, don't know how many different disciplines, but, uh, you know, almost had to finish her career last year. She had a surgery, uh, to operate on a, on an artery, uh, in, in the, in a leg, a very common injury with cyclists, but, uh, obviously, it, it was well done. She recovered well and she's back up there. And Lotto Kopecki was unable to shake her on the Muir, on the Bosberg. And then tactically, uh, amazing race from uh, Mariana Vos and winning and beating the world champion uh, in Belgium. 
that was quite the performance. Uh, her 249th win on the road, only on the road. So add to that all the cyclocrosses, all the tracks. Yeah, well, she's the you know the Eddie Merckx, the Eddie Merckx of of women's cycling, uh, and has to take on the strength of SD Works as a whole. Yeah, yeah. that's a, yeah. that's a, that's huge. But it shows that it's not SD Works has not consumed all of the women's major objectives that like you still can't have Voss come out of the woodwork and beat a team, not by herself, but with far less support. Johan, I think mentioned the pre-show, you know, this could make the Olympics pretty interesting, especially since she'll be teammates with Demi Vollering at the Olympics. Like that's a, that's a nice second card to have to play. Uh, probably yeah. one of the best riders of all time. Yeah, definitely. The, the best ride, the best female rider of all time, bar none. That's for sure. Um, uh, you know, it's an Olympic year. Uh, the course in Paris suits her. Um, it's uh, man. I would. Uh, it, it's going to be a difficult job to be the manager of the of the of the the Netherlands <laughs> women's team. Uh, I think it always is, but in this case, um, wow, that's that's going to be quite a challenge. Uh, not a bad position to be in, but sometimes it can work work against you. But. Uh, I mean, she's already Olympic champion. I don't know if it's multiple ones or uh, multiple times. She, I, I know she won at least one, but probably more than one. Well, uh, London was her, and then Rio was um, her her teammate. Uh, it was the uh, a Dutch woman whose name I'm forgetting now. Very famous Dutch woman, um, Van Vluten. No, no, because she actually crashed crashed in that race. The other, the other historically great Dutch woman. Uh, it was uh, Anna van der Breggen, is who it was. Anna van der Breggen, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But anyways, um, yeah, Mariana Vos is, you know, the goat. No, no question about that. Well, it's a good thing we get to talk about now. We get to talk about Kern, uh, Brussels Kern, because we've hardly talked about Visma Lisa bike. <laughs> <laughs> So that one, we'll, we'll lead off with you on this one, Spencer, the, the Wout Van Art show. Uh, again, what a great weekend to see his teammate Dratnik win and come back and get the victory the following day. Yeah, well, this is the easiest race of the weekend to, to talk about because it wasn't a lot. We didn't see a lot. We turned the TV on. And JB, I think you're right. Like the fact that Wout wins the bunch sprint yesterday, throws his teammate a win. Uh, Visma's so good. They're, they're like using major objectives to feed their teammates wins, which is kind of unbelievable, but we turn the TV on coverage starts around like 93, 92 K to go. What do we see? We see Visma at the front breaking off, breaking a group off. A few K's go by Wout Van Aert's at the front. I'm like, well, this is interesting. He breaks a smaller group off almost exact same thing. We saw the day before he gets away with Tim Wellens, who was really good, obviously, at Omloop to pull that back together. And I think Wellens flatted out of the lead group at Omloop. I'm not yeah. sure, but I think he did. He did. He did. No, he did. Yeah. He did. yeah. So it was um, Tim Wellens and then Orai Lascano. Is that kind oh, of yeah. how you say his oh, name? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Lascano. And he's been good all year. You know, he won the uh, the Classica Wyon, Ion, something I, like that. I, I, yeah, where Tratnik was in the chase group. Yeah. So it's those three immediately just blow this gap out. And this is with nearly 90 kilometers to go. It kind of looked that was like the other, the other, that was the other, uh, the Australian guy. Oh uh, yeah. Lawrence. I think he's, I think he's a Kiwi. I think he's from New Zealand. Yeah, Lawrence yeah, yeah, Pith, yeah. Pithy, Pith yeah. on F. 
FDJ. You might think yeah. he's French from his name, but he's from New Zealand, I believe. And he's fast. So kind of a problem to have him there. Wout just keeps, and I was surprised. I mean, those, those guys are all really strong. You could immediately see anytime the road went uphill, they would hit these climbs, you know, they're like one to 1.5 kilometer cobble climbs. They would struggle to stay on Wout's wheel and immediately, not immediately, but eventually Pith, Pith, Pithy's dropped. The other two riders stay with them and they, we don't even really see the Peloton for, for an hour, an hour and a half. Like I didn't even know they, if they existed or not, we just kind of yeah. see these three riders going. Matteo Jorgensen is chasing in a small group behind with Matty Motorich. They eventually catch Pithy and, but that's kind of it. I mean, they had no, I thought it was kind of weird that Jorgensen was, I guess, te- technically chasing a teammate, but they weren't really going to catch him. They immediately had a two minute gap and it wasn't coming down. Those guys were just the strongest riders in the race. Probably no one in the chase group could ride as fast as them. So there yeah. was no way to plus, pull it back. Plus also, you know, what you have in those situations, Spencer, you know, you, the, these other teams and the other riders there, they know what's going on. They, they know, they know Visma is strong. And, you know, once you're up there, even with Van Aert and even because both let's, let's face it, both Wellens and Lascana, Lascano knew that they were not going to win, but they say, Hey, you know, let's just ride with him. At least we we're second and third because yeah, you're guaranteed, you know, we're, we're out of the top 10. And, mm-hmm. um, and they did their job, you know, I mean, uh, I think Wellens is amazing. He was today, he was on par, I think with, with Van Aert, although we don't know if Van Aert really tried, a hundred percent to go away because it would have been really far, but you know, Wellens was never in difficulties. Lascano was a few times in difficulties, but I mean, strong performance. I mean, he was, uh, he was second in Duarstel Belgi, I think, uh, last year uh on movie star in in one of those uh in it was Harlebeke or no Waterham uh one of those semi classics um which was you know really really strange to see a spanish guy up there on the podium uh and now third in Kurna so uh super strong guy young rider still very strong um obviously in great shape you know he already won the the classic Achaen. Uh, Spanish champion also, um, and, and, you know, also, you know, saw his post-race interview, congratulations for, you know, a Spanish rider to speak so well English, uh, was, it was good to see. Um, but yeah, I mean, once those three guys were gone, it was, the race was over, uh, and it was just a waiting game then to see, you know, if an art was gonna finish solo or if he was gonna win in the sprint, but he was probably very confident that he was going to win. And, um, I would say for, for, for Visma, first of all, but especially for Van Aert, um, confirmation that he did the right thing. He, uh, he shortened his cyclocross season, you know, took a different approach, uh, you know, puts everything on the, the, the two big monuments that he wants to win, uh, Tour Flanders and Paris-Roubaix. And, and for the moment, I think his plan works you know he's third yesterday win today uh and um now tomorrow he goes straight to tenerife to the teide to to altitude to for for two or three weeks to fine-tune his form and uh let's see now you know i mean uh, i think he's shown that he's the strongest of the peloton uh visma is the strongest team the only 
unknown factor is how strong is he going to be when Mathieu van der Poel enters the game? That's a different story, but we don't know that yet. <laughs> so that's going to be interesting. I mean, those guys did, I, I thought they did a decent job. I mean, Lascano had an attack inside the last K. Yeah, he did, tried something. And then Wellens yeah. was decently strong in the sprint. And same thing with Niels Pollitt yesterday. You might think it, it's a little weird. Like, well, why did he just lead Tratnik to the finish and then easily get beat? But if you're UAE on Saturday, well, you don't have a sprinter. Tim Wellens isn't going to win. So second's not terrible. And you kind of saw the same thing today where, well, we could get, we could sit up, refuse to work and get caught, but we're not going to do better than second or yeah. third. So we might as well just take that. Then I think you said this, Johan, in the season preview show where you said last year, Wout Van Aert kind of looked like he lacked endurance at certain points where he, at late in races, he was vulnerable. We are seeing the opposite of that this year. I mean, this we guy to, looks. We, we need to wait, Spencer. These races are 200 kilometers or less. The monuments are different. It's 260, right? 260, 270. That's a different. Yeah, it's still a it could different. be another, I guess, yeah. 90 minutes of racing. Yeah. Yeah, but he's also not started his training yet. So this is not a terrible starting point. No, it's going to go. I mean, definitely. I think they're on track. They're on track with their new approach, uh, you know, limiting the cyclocross races. Um, now going to altitude and, and, and you know, betting everything on, uh, on the two big races. So uh, it's going to be interesting. I mean, it's a lot of pressure for Wout van Aert also, you know, like yesterday, even yesterday, you know, like he did an amazing race. Right. So, I mean, this is how difficult it is to be Wout van Aert in Belgium. Right. <laughs> uh, amazing race finishes third celebrates the victory of his teammate. Now I've seen comments saying, ha, there you have, a, there you again, van Aert is again, celebrating the victory of a teammate. When is he going to win himself? You know, I mean, it's like, wow, it's hard to be Walt Von Art, man. Yeah. It's hard. I would just think the thing in his favor, and you mentioned the pre-show, Vanderpool, same thing. He's, he has a collection of like seven one-day races that he's targeting. He's going to training camp. Otherwise, not doing stage races, spring stage races, uh, similar with Van Art. But when Vanderpool gets to these races, you also said this in the previous show, he will be the favorite, you know, like... Van Art, it sounds a little ridiculous to say, can kind of play a backseat role to Vanderpool and all the attention will be on him since he's yeah. been winning these races in the last few years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, and then we can speculate again, you know, when, when they're going to be together, we're going to speculate to say, okay, you know, Van Art versus Vanderpool. Van Art is in the advantage because he has a stronger team. But then what we'll see is that probably Vanderpool will attack so early and he yeah. will eliminate all the other teammates and it's going to be Van Aert against Vanderpool again. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you look on paper right now, I would say Van Aert is in a good situation because uh, Vis Visma is in a good situation because, you know, Van Aert is in great shape and they have three, four other riders who are candidate winners of those classics where Vanderpool's team is basically Vanderpool supported by a team of helpers who it's going to be more difficult for them to win. All right. Last but not least, now we break down a couple races in France. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we should mention this kind of rolls into a point I was going to make. So there was two races in France, the phone Ardash and then 
Bodrome Classic, two really similar races, really hard races. UAE, Juan Ayuso wins the Saturday one, really strong front group. I mean, these races are so hard. The Just the talent and the class decants out and contest the win. Ayuso beats Roman Gregoire, Mateus Skelmoza, and then today it was Mark Hershey. There was two UAE guys. He attacks. Juan Ayuso, Juan Ayuso sits back, wins the sprint. Hershey wins. But that means... Every race this weekend was won by UAE or Visma, and in the cases Visma won, second place was UAE. They so UAE or Visma wins every race this weekend except the home race of UAE, the UAE Tour, which was won by yeah. a second division team. So it's like stunning in their dominance, but also then the oddity that the race in the actual United Arab Emirates is not won by UAE. Yeah, I mean they would, you know. I, I still, I mean, I don't know what happened. Uh, they they definitely went in there with the intention to win, but hey, you know, winning winning two other races and being second on two other on two other races. These, these are the two best teams for a reason. Um, and you know, it's almost already, like the gap has feels like it's grown between. They're them already and the rest of the they're teams. already super super present with their dominance from from the beginning on and. Uh, this is just uh, preparation for them, you know. These are these are not the big the big goal. So that's that's the scary part. All right. Before we part ways, uh, Johan, are there any slots available still for the We Do Travel Perry Roubaix trip? Yes, there is one spot left. One. So whoever wants to join needs to be fast. Uh, <laughs> check it out on our section of uh, travel on uh, we do.team uh, one spot left for an amazing experience uh paris roubaix friday ride with ex winner three to three times winner Johan museo and george hinkapi saturday grand fondo part of the the move team uh and sunday private vip experience in the presence of ex winner uh Johan and uh, and George and myself. If you're interested in that, it's a cool experience. And Johan's there as your director. He breaks down the ride for the day. He's in the team car. Uh, it's very cool, well supported, and a lot of fun. You probably make some friends for life too. To be, you know, whoever's on that trip. Uh, if you're interested, go to we do.team slash travel. You'll see it at the uh, top of the menu bar. And then also before we go, I. I Heavily encourage our listeners to check out the uh, the Move Legends show with Ekimov. Uh, it just released a couple of days ago. It is great. Here are a few comments that uh, were on our YouTube channel. Tanner writes, pretty crazy. I was watching the old Tour de France videos and saw Ekimov and thought, I bet they'll put him on the, the Move soon. A couple of days later, he's on. Uh, Adrian writes, I'm wearing my See You in the Douches in Eki's honor today. <laughs> if you listen to that episode, you'll get the whole story. That's where the phrase came from. Javi writes, uh, what a guy. I remember him perfectly. We had a, he had a massive engine. Congratulations from Spain. See you in the douches. And one more from Campy Boy. <laughs> I remember in 2005 in Calgary, Johan was there with Lance for the Tour de Courage cancer Tour, fundraiser. Tour de Courage. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. It says, when I first met you, Johan, I said, hello, Ekimov. It's nice to meet you. <laughs> you know what? You know what? I remember that. I remember that. Wow. 
They say you two could pass for brothers. That's funny. <laughs> it's funny, actually. You know, I mean, JB, it's, you know, um, some people may not know this, but Eki and I were teammates on Rabobank. And uh, it happened quite often that, you know, the postcards the, that people came to sign, they came with a diff- with Ekimovs or with really? mine. Ekimov. Yeah, 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 they did. Very funny. Great interview, by the way. You you and George did such a great job. Yeah, I thank mean, you. I don't I don't want to give away too much, but taking a big old drag on a cigarette pre time trial, <laughs> legend, legend. Be like the trend in a few years. He's just, he's a legend on, already. Just for that, he's a legend. <laughs> he's All a right. legend for many other reasons, but that that gives him the title of legend. But by okay. the way, if you haven't listened to that interview, go check it out now. Uh, it's in all of our podcast feeds for the move and also on YouTube here. If you're watching on YouTube, you can click on it right now and check it out. It's so worth it. Johan Spencer. Thank you so much. That is a lot to cover. I think, uh, uh, Spencer, you need to go check on Mrs. Martin and see if you're still married. If you've been watching all these races, <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, yeah, it's been a little dicey at times. <laughs> no, the and, morning time actually helps you. It's like almost, I feel like it's harder for Johan when it's this crazy. Yeah. But you know, Spencer, I don't have the problem. I don't have to check on anybody. I can, I, I can do whatever I want. <laughs> he, just has to, he just has to make sure the dogs get some exercise. Right? All right. Thank you guys. Appreciate you so much. And thank you everyone for tuning into the move. Okay, thanks. Bye.